1 Kings chapter 17. Let's read down about uh, seven verses, uh, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. It says, Now Elijah, I'm reading from the ESV. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Yes, you heard that right. I have commanded the ravens, the birds, to feed you at that brook. So he, Elijah, went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. If I was going to title the message, my message this morning, it would be this, the expiration of a miracle. Father, as we come before you today at this point of the message, God, where we turn to the pages of your holy word, it is life to us, it is bread to us, it is drink to us in our spirit, it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We honor it today, we thank you for preserving it, for making it available to us today. Let us never take that lightly. And God, I pray that we might always preach it, interpret it, uh, and convey it properly, Lord, and in order. This morning I pray for your anointing. Lord, I recognize my weaknesses. I'm just a human vessel, a weak, uh, broken human vessel at that. But through the power and the anointing of your Holy Ghost, you're able to speak it in a way that will minister to every heart that is here. Let it perform its work, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 You can be seated. The expiration of a miracle. That may sound kind of funny, but it'll make more sense as we go uh, along through here. Um, so before, let me come back and we'll talk a little bit about this, this that we just read. But let's talk first of all, a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of background, a little bit of nuts and bolts here. First of all, uh, what is a miracle? I mean, I think we all, for the most part, can understand what a miracle is. Uh, it's, it's a word that's somewhat probably over and underused and used in wrong contexts at times. I mean, if, uh, if your husband actually remembers to throw his socks in the dirty clothes and you say, it's a miracle, right? I mean, we, so we, we use the term loosely a lot, but a true miracle, um, the definition of it actually is a wonder, uh, something that you can't explain, uh, a sign or a supernatural manifestation of God's power, okay? Supernatural being the key there, basically. Um, uh, the purpose, what's the purpose of a miracle? Throughout the entirety of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament alike, there's hundreds of, of miracles that have been recorded um, to testify of the infinite power of Almighty God. That was ultimately the purpose. The point of them being written down is so that we would see how great and powerful God is. He's infinite, meaning there's no limit to what God can do. We are finite, which means we're limited. God is infinite, which means he's not limited, okay? And so all of these things have been recorded. And you have to understand that the hundreds of miracles that have been recorded in the Word of God, they're not fairy tales, we have a tendency sometimes to read them and think, okay, that's cool, I've heard that my whole life. But when you really stop and look at it from a legitimate, realistic standpoint, these things actually happened and took place. I mean, the Red Sea literally did. I mean, you can go to Israel today and see the Red Sea. It's not a make-believe ocean or sea. It's real. And that Red Sea really did split in half and the waters stand on both sides so that the entire nation of Israel could walk across it that is a miracle being meaning it's a it was a supernatural act of, of god's power we can't do that but god could so it's important for us to understand that all these miracles we read about 
literally did take place and they really did happen, okay? Um, they were there, they, they happened to testify of God's power to prove that, that, he is, that God is limitless and that the entire universe is at God's command. And that makes sense. Uh, uh, any God that cre- could create all of this can manipulate it at any time, is that right? I mean, he can change the game midstream should he choose to. We are only able to go so far and do so much, but God, and we, we have in our life, we come to the point where we have in our mind what is normal, right? That may be different for some people, but for the most part, it's not, we all know that it's not normal for me to jump off this roof and fly around, right? That's not normal. That's, with, that's outside the realms of normal to us. Uh, but with God, he don't operate off the same realm of normal. He created the entirety of the world, therefore the entirety of the universe is subject to his command, and God moves at different times through miraculous means as a way for man to actually be able to see the works of the God that they can't see, okay? We don't see God face to face, but when a miracle takes place, something happens that's beyond explanation, we're able to then see the God that we normally cannot see, okay? God's miracles are a way for him to literally manipulate the natural in order for him to accomplish his supernatural agenda, okay? Everything we know is natural. It's just normal flesh stuff. That which is supernatural means it goes beyond what is natural. Let us never stop believing and trusting in a supernatural God. Let us, let us never dumb down God and make him fit our little box. Remember that song a long time ago, back in the 90s, so it probably didn't make any sense, and I don't remember much about the song, but it says, what if God was one of us? Remember that song? What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. That'd be horrible. But God isn't like us. And let us never fail, never stop believing in God's ability to manipulate what is natural and normal to us to accomplish something that is great and mighty, Right? He's a mighty God, and we should always praise him and, and remember for that. So let me ask you this, before we get back in, into this uh, Elijah situation here. Do miracles still happen today? Some people don't believe that they do. There's a lot of Christians, church, church circles even, that teach miracles don't happen anymore, that, that miracles, uh, the day of miracles is over, that miracles only took place during the early church um, just to... Uh, I guess get the church started, but then it, it wiped out and, and that don't happen anymore. And that's not true. Well, I would say that for those people, that's true. If you don't believe miracles happen, then you're probably not going to see many of them. Uh, but yes, miracles still take place today. Supernatural, unexplainable acts that can only be done by the God who created all of this. He's still very much at work and he's still very much in the miracle working business, okay? But not for a lot of the reasons that maybe we think about these days and that people, uh, people like to try to put even God's miracles within a box. God, God doesn't perform miracles in our day and hour uh, to make some preacher famous, that he might gain a following, and that he might get rich. We, we've, we've all seen them. They're on TV. We've had them come through town before preachers that you know call people out and, and you know supposedly work these works of miracles and they're they're trying to build a name for themselves. That's not why God works miracles. It's important for us. I might say this if I can get it out of my brain the way that I'm seeing it here uh, out of my lips properly. 
that there's, there's always going to be people who are trying to deceive, okay? There's always, from the very beginning, you've got God that is the real deal and you've got Satan who is the counterfeit. And Satan has always tried to take the acts and the works of God and, and counterfeit those to be just, as re, be, be, be just as real as God or make it look just as much like God's work as he possibly can, but it's still a counterfeit, right? And so there are a lot of, there's deceitful people in the world. There's deceitful people masquerading as preachers and Christians that will fake miracles and, and will do all of these types of things in order to try to, uh, to deceive people. Let me say this, and I think that this is an important thing for all of us uh, in the area of, of discernment. It's discernment is being able to see and understand and tell when something is really of God and when it isn't. Uh, that's something that every Christian should be praying, I believe, daily for. God, give me, give me discernment so that I'm not deceived. I don't ever want to believe something that's, that's not real. And, you know, when Jesus himself talks about false prophets and false teachers that would come, you know, within the church in the last day, in the last days, that those false teachers and false miracle workers will increase and he says you have to be on guard against those things or otherwise you might be deceived so we have to find this happy balance and, and for me it's a bit of a struggle i'm i'm kind of a i like to think the best of people uh but at the same time i'm skeptic right and so i don't when somebody comes along talking about oh this miracle or that i don't generally just automatically believe somebody but at the same time i don't want to just automatically not believe people either because i still believe that god does work miracles and when he does i want to hear about it i want in on it i, I want so but we have to we just have to realize that what God's purpose in using miracles are, and then I think it helps us not to be deceived. We need to chase, uh, we don't need to be chasing miracles, we need to be chasing the God who performs miracles, amen? And there's a difference. So it's not just about making a name for somebody, making somebody famous. It's really not even to just mesmerize believers and make our church church services more entertaining. I mean, let's face it, miracle takes place within the church, and they have. I've witnessed miracles, and I'm not going to take time to, to tell about the things that I've literally saw. I'll be glad to do that after church. I've witnessed miracles. Many of you have as well. Uh, but God's not doing those things just as some sort of trick show, you know, on the side to, to entertain all of us. There's, there's a purpose, there's a reason for the miracles that take place. And, and uh, one thing I also might mention is that those miracles that God does, He doesn't do them just to make people believe. And I'll talk about this here more in a minute. Miracles by themselves don't cause people to believe. We'll see that here in a second. So the miracle is not so much to make someone believe as it is, rather, it takes away somebody's excuse not to believe. Right? If you witness a supernatural act of God and you still deny Him and still run from Him, you're without excuse. God says, look, I did everything I knew to do. I drew you by your spirit. I showed you by my eye the great things that I can do and you still reject me. So it takes away um, excuse. Like I said, we'll get to that a little bit more here in just a minute. But miracles is actually, when you look into 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, uh, gives a list, I'm not going to go there, but it gives a list of the gifts of the Spirit. Ways that the Holy Ghost of God will move on individuals at specific times for a specific reason to accomplish a specific purpose. Um, He'll move on them to do something that's supernatural. It's a gift of the what? Not a gift of the flesh, a gift of the Spirit. Uh, To some, he said, we'll have the gifts of tongues. To others, interpretation of tongues. I can't speak any other language, but at times when I'm praying to God, the Spirit of God will move on me and I will begin to pray in a language that I do not understand. There's people who will be able, if, there's a, if there is a, a message given 
to a church, somebody speaks in an unknown, lang- unknown, unknown language, that's supernatural. That's something that's beyond the flesh, and you can't really explain that. And then somebody else will stand and give the interpretation uh, because the Spirit reveals to them what the interpretation of this message is. It's supernatural. They're gifts of, not the flesh, gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of faith, gifts of knowledge. Somebody that has a greater gift of knowledge maybe than everybody else. Somebody that would be a teacher or a preacher. And the whole long, long list, uh, and in, midst, in the midst of this long list, is the working of miracles. Okay, So there, I don't find anywhere within Scripture where any of those gifts were to stop until Jesus comes. Okay, Every one of those gifts will be in operation. I think the reason why we don't see as many of those gifts in operation as we should or used to or like to is because there's not as many people who are yielded to be vessels for, that, for the Spirit to operate through. You get more people saying, God, use me, I'm a vessel, fill me, use me, whatever gift you see, you see fit, then you're going to start seeing more of those gifts take place, those supernatural gifts, okay? So one of them being the gift of miracles. Not everybody speaks in tongues. Not everybody interpreta- interprets tongues. Not everybody uh, is able to give prophecy. Not, a- not everybody works miracles. When it comes to miracles, not everybody can do them, and not everybody gets one, okay? There's, pro- there's, not a- there's probably not a person in this room today that couldn't use a miracle in some form or fashion. Something in your life that you have come to, boom, brick road, brick wall, nothing more I can do, and it would take a supernatural act of God to accomplish whatever it is you're facing. Every one of us in this place needs a miracle. Now, you might get that miracle and you might not. God might move in a different way than you see fit. To me, anytime we pray and God hears us and comes through for us, a miracle why would a holy god even pay attention to sinful human beings like us amen not everybody gets one though everyone might need one jesus jesus healed an awful lot of lepers but he didn't heal all of them he healed a lot of blind people but he didn't heal all of them you get my drift he raised some people from the dead but he didn't raise everybody from the dead there's purpose so so what's the difference is it because people who receive a miracle are loved more by god that's not it if you, if you need a miracle and don't get it, it's not because God loves you any less, okay? The miracles are all in God's court. It's all in God's decision. Whether or not the, the miracle, the supernatural, the amazing takes place. Um, folks, I'll be honest with you, that some of the greatest things I've ever seen, miracles that I've witnessed with my own two eyeballs, um, I wasn't expecting it. It wasn't like God was doing me some sort of favor. I realized later that there was a greater purpose in it that had more to do with God than me. Okay, so when it, when it really comes down to it's not about, you know, you being loved more because you got one, you being loved less because you don't, has, has nothing to do with love. God loves us all the same. What it all boils down to is uh, two main reasons that God performs miracles of his own free will and choosing. Number one is just to prove that God's still in charge. When God works a miracle, however he, use, however he does it and whoever he does it through, it's proof that God's still his command, his, still, his word is still final. He's still in control. When you and I look the world over and it seems as though mankind has gone bonkers and Satan is in control, God does things every once in a while to bring us back around and show us, oh no, I still have control of the universe that I spoke into existence. Sometimes that miracle is just a matter of getting God's work done on the earth. A, to prove that he's still in charge. B, to get God's work done 
on the earth. It's about God's plan. God chooses when the miracle is performed, and he chooses when that miracle expires. Okay? And for some of the... Here, this is, a, I guess, as a side note, this isn't so much, not necessarily a message about not dwelling in the past, but I guess it's kind of a side message in there that... Every one of us stand today, and we kind of testified when I said a lot of us have witnessed miracles or seen something happen, and I've seen a lot of nodded heads and things like that. But that all happened in the past. And we, we still get excited about that, and it's not that we should forget about that. We still learn about that, but we can sit here and glory in, in all of that and dwell in that and think, oh, how great it was two years ago when God did this, and, and God is really trying to get us to go forward because God said, look, I've got a whole lot of other stuff that I wouldn't mind doing in the future if we can get you out of the past, right? So, you know, in, in this particular uh, situation here with Elijah, you know, God... He was a prophet. God had spoken to him. And at Elijah's word, it literally quit raining for three years. So there was a tremendous drought in the land. And, but God says, what I'm going to do, Elijah, I'm going I'm to hide you out and I'm going to provide for you. And he provided for Elijah in a very miraculous way that we just read about. He's at this brook. First of all, so his water supply is taken care of. And God says, I am going to send ravens every day to feed you. Now, that's a miracle. Ravens don't generally do that. Generally, in a natural sense, if you were to go approach a raven, they're going to fly away from you, right? So it's not natural for a raven to literally fly up with food in its mouth and bring it to you. So when that happened, it was a supernatural act of an almighty God. God manipulated the natural in order to work a miracle to accomplish a purpose, which was to preserve and to keep Elijah in the middle of that drought. So, I mean, for a while, he got it made. This is a pretty sweet miracle. I mean, he's like, man, I got all the I got water. The birds are feeding me. This is just awesome. And he's, a, he's just riding the wave, enjoying this great miracle. But there come a time that that miracle expired. Come a time, the brook eventually dried up, and the ravens stopped bringing the food. Now, Elijah... He could have got all huffy at God. Well, what, God, what's the deal here? You can't. But the point, was, the point of this miracle was that it was just for a temporary time. Just because something is from God doesn't mean it's forever, right? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. We may never know why, and we might, but it may have very little to do with us and very much to do with what God's ultimate big picture plan was. And that's what this was about. God was drying up the brook and he, and he made the ravens stop, God, God put an expiration date on that miracle because uh, there was a, it was time to move to the next phase of God's plan. This whole thing had very little to do with Elijah, if anything at all. I mean, obviously God cared about Elijah. and God wanted to provide for Elijah. Uh, no doubt about that. I mean, if God works a miracle on our behalf, yeah, we benefit from that. And God, if, if, I'm, if I'm sick and God heals me, yeah, I mean, God's doing that for me, but ultimately, it's more about God's bigger picture plan, right? Miracles are always about God's plan, not ours. So, in order for, as big of a miracle as that was, in order for God to do greater miracles in the future, that miracle had to expire and it had to die. So, here's what we find, and, and Elijah, by the way, had to let go of it. Like I said a minute ago, we got to quit dwelling, we got to look for what God is wanting to do tomorrow. Be excited about what God did yesterday. Learn about what God, you know, learn through what God did yesterday. 
testify to others about what God did yesterday, but look for tomorrow and what God's going to do next. God's not bored. God's not washed up. God's miracle-working power hasn't gotten weaker, weaker over the years. He's still the same God. Amen? Amen? He's just looking for people who are looking for it. Now, if you go on, I'm not going to read all of this, but let me just tell you what happens. Um, I would encourage you to read it. But when you go on from there, after the brook dries up and the ravens stop coming, that miracle expires... God says to Elijah, now I want you to go to Zarephath and there's a widow there that I, I'm going to use to supply your need now. Okay? Now, you would have thought, if from a natural standpoint, you would have thought it would have been better for God to send Elijah to a rich man. Right? I mean, they're in a famine. There's no food, there's no water, everything. Wouldn't it be better for God to send Elijah to a guy who was wealthy and had all kinds of food stored up and all kinds of water? From the natural standpoint, it would have made more sense to send him to a rich man. But God chooses in his infinite power and, and knowledge to send Elijah to a widow, a poor widow who had nothing. And there was a purpose in this. You know what it was? God was about to work another miracle. So he goes, you know the story, he goes and, and he meets this, he finds this widow and she's out in the, the yard, she's picking up, she's gathering up sticks. And her mind, I want, you to, I want to take you back before the story picks her up. Before the story picks her up, she's in her house, she's got a boy, she's suffering from this famine, she looks in her pot of flour and there's just a handful left. She looks in her jar of oil there's just a little bit left. Literally, she has come, she is scraping the bottom of the cupboards. She looks in her wallet and butterflies come out, right? She has no money and she has literally just enough food to cook it and her and her son to have one last meal. There was, there was no provision after that. After that, we'll starve to death because I have no idea what to do next. So she's out in the, the, the yard gathering up sticks to build a fire in order to cook this last meal. And while she's gathering up sticks, no doubt thinking to herself, what in the world am I going to do? My poor son, blah, blah, blah. Here comes Elijah into her yard and says, hey, would you give me something to drink? She says, sure. And so she goes to get it and he said, well, while you're at it, bring me some bread too, would you please? Bring me something to eat. And so she tells him the problem. She says, I can't. I, I've, got, I've literally got just enough food for me and my son, and after we eat this last meal, uh, we're done. I, I, I have no way to provide after that. And Elijah recognizes what the next miracle is going to be, amen, that God, even though God dried up the brook and stopped the ravens, God didn't forsake him. God still had intention of providing for him. And as naturally, God, as God usually does it, he was going to do it in a very miraculous way. So he tells this, this, this widow lady, this distraught widow lady, go in to your house, make that bread, bring it to me first. Bring me the food first, and then God will provide for you after that. Now, I'm sure that the local uh, uh, newspapers would have loved to got a hold of that story, right? Preacher comes through town, takes widow's last meal. You know, I mean, I'm sure, because from a natural standpoint... That ain't, that ain't good, right? But God was doing something in the supernatural. She does it. She believes. She trusts. Something, something tugs her heart and she recognizes that God is doing a work for her. She goes in, takes the flour, takes the oil, bakes it up, takes that last meal and gives it to this total stranger. And then she goes back and she opens the pot and there's more flour in there. She's like, I, I just took 
the rest of that out. She opens the pot of oil. There's more oil in there. She takes it out. She makes the cake. She gives it to her son. She goes back. There's more flour in there. There's, and, that hap- and that miracle, that's, that's beyond the supernatural. God was manipulating the natural in order to do a supernatural work. That doesn't happen, but God did it. Okay? It's not a fairy tale and not a story. It actually happened. And, and God did that. He sustained that miracle until the very end of the drought. That's something. And then whenever things got better, there come a time where that miracle expired. It's no longer a need. But God didn't stop providing for the widow lady. Shortly after that, we find where this, this widow lady's son dies. And the widow comes to, to uh, Elijah, and she's distraught. She's upset. She's like, man, you know what? Here, you come into my house. God does this great work, but then you, you, my son dies. You know, what I ever do to you type thing, you know? And so Elijah takes, she go, he goes in there, and he just drapes himself over this dead boy. And he's just praying. He's praying, oh, God, you can't let this, this boy die. Now, how many of you know that for the most part, when you die, you die, you're dead? I mean, it's over. This world is, I mean, naturally, this life is over. But God, through Elijah, did something supernatural. He worked a miracle in which life came back into this dead boy, and, she brought, and he picked him up, brought him back to his mother. Now, had Elijah always been wanting to cling to that first miracle of the, the brooks and the ravens and refused to let go of that, and refused to trust God, he'd have missed out on all the miracles God had for him in the future. Not to mention Mount Carmel, right? When Elijah's up on the mountain and he's facing off with the prophets of Baal and it's all, it's basically all a face down about whose God is real. Well, we'll build two altars. You pray to your God, I'll pray to mine. Whichever God answers by fire, he's the real God. The prophets of Baal, they cut themselves, they jump up and down, they go through all of their rituals, and nothing happens. You know why? Because their God was nothing. Elijah sets up his sacrifice, he, he douses it with water, soaks it down, he just simply prays to God and said, God, here we go, it's your chance. And God, fire comes from heaven, consumes, I mean, have you ever seen anything like that? I've never seen anything like that before. One of the, let me tell you something, I think it's pretty cool that ravens would bring me food every day. But if I'm seeing fire literally fall from heaven, and that's an even greater miracle. He'd have missed out on had the last one not expired. God's always got something in store next. And we need to always be looking for the next. And again, remembering, see, because none of these miracles that I just told you about were really about Elijah. They really weren't. I mean, God, Elijah benefited from them, but God didn't do them for Elijah. God did them for his purpose and his plan. Because God used Elijah to try to win back his, his people who had backslidden and turned their back on him. The miracle of the daily manna, when we read about in the book of Exodus with the, with the nation of Israel, God's bringing them across the desert into a land. He's, God's already promised them, I'm taking you to a land where you'll have all the food that you need, but in the meantime, you're going to have to go through the desert, right? And, and how many of you know there's not a lot of food in the desert? There's not a lot of water in the desert. So God takes them through a naturally... Very difficult situation because God's intention was to supernaturally act on their behalf, right? And so there was the daily manna. Every day, manna was this real thin bread-like bread like stuff with no yeast in it, you might say. It's like a tortilla or something, you know, something like that. Every morning, now think about this, this really happened. Every morning when they would wake up and open their tent doors, Israel was all laid out and everywhere they went they had their way of 
laying out their little town, so to speak, and when they'd open their, their tent doors, there would literally be bread laying all over the ground. It come down with the dew. As the dew would come in the night, God would, would just lay this bread down. It was a miracle. Right? Something that doesn't naturally happen. God manipulated the, the natural and did something supernatural, and they just went out and they gathered enough food for themselves. But, but here's what God said. There was an expiration date on that miracle. That miracle was only good for one day. It was daily manna. God said, and, and God said I want you to go out and just, just get enough for that day, for you and your family for that. Don't get any extra. Don't get any for tomorrow. Get enough for one day. Why do you suppose God was telling them to do that? Why, why do you suppose God didn't want them to take up a bunch of extra but just get enough for the day? Don't you suppose that maybe it was because God was trying to teach them that God was not only going to be faithful today but that he would also be faithful tomorrow? And that he would be faithful the next day. And he'd be faithful the next day. So that miracle expired. And some of the people, out of a heart of unbelief, let's face it, we all battle unbelief in some form or fashion. God has given us great and precious promises. And many times we doubt those. And some of these Israelites doubted. They got to thinking to themselves like many of us do. Well, what if there's not bread there tomorrow? I mean, this is a great miracle I'm looking at here. Because remember, miracles by themselves don't cause people to believe. This is a great miracle, but what if God bails on us tomorrow? And so they went ahead, and while they were gathering their daily manna, they gathered just a little bit extra for tomorrow, just in case God don't come through. And the next morning, they woke up, and that extra manna that they had saved was worthless. It stunk. It had worms in it. You see, God, God said, I'm not, I'm, here's my miracle ends today, right? I'm not, I, I'm not, guaranteeing it anywhere beyond where I'm going to guarantee it. After that, you're on your own. And folks, we never want to come to a place where we're on our own. We always want to be in a place where we're trusting God moment by moment by moment. That's what he was trying to teach them, and that's what he's ultimately trying to teach us. And eventually, that miracle of the manna expired completely. When they got into Canaan's land, this land that God had promised them, there was no more manna forever. I mean, that was a miracle that God used at that time to get his purpose accomplished and to protect his people and provide for his people. But there come a time, that was over. God is moving on to, God said, when you get in Canaan, I've got a whole other world of miracles uh, that I've planned to protect and care for you. Amen? You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to need the manna because you're going to be eating from vineyards that you didn't even have to plant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you, this little old ragtag country that's never fought. You've been slaves for 400 years. But I'm going to raise you up to be an army to literally run out all of the kingdoms of the world that live in that area. Those that have trained horses and soldiers and weapons. And God miraculously used this little ignorant nation that had no skill, no fighting ability, and runs all of these nations out. And then they eat all their food. They live in their houses. They drink from their wells. God said, no, I've got greater miracles in store than just a bunch of bread on the ground. Amen. The time came for them to move on. The miracle of Lazarus raising from the dead. Now, no doubt, that was the talk of the day. Right? Those of you who don't know the story, let me tell it really quick. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they were all friends, dear friends of Jesus. Lazarus, Jesus is in one town just a couple days away. Lazarus is in the other town about two days apart. Lazarus gets sick. They send word to Jesus. Hey, Lazarus is sick. We need you to come right away and heal him. They, they needed a miracle. Okay? And Jesus, on purpose, stayed in this other town for two days waiting for, or waiting for Lazarus to die. Could he have jumped on a camel right away and got the first chariot out of town and come and healed Lazarus and kept him from dying? Yes. Would that have been a miracle? Yes. 
That's not what he chose to do. He chose to let Lazarus die. Lazarus died. Then Jesus comes. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus' sisters are all upset. Why didn't you come sooner? Had you come when we called you, you could have healed Lazarus, and, and it, would all, it would all be better now. In, in a way, they're, they're, they're kind of limiting Jesus' power to a certain degree. Like, it's like, well, you could have healed him. You could have went past the natural and worked a miracle to heal him, but now it's too late, Jesus, even for you, right? And Jesus was about to make a big statement. Jesus said, well, take me to his tomb. He'd been in the, been in the tomb for four days. Big rock rolled in front of the tomb. Take me to the tomb. They took him in there. Jesus said, I want you to roll that big stone out of the, out of the way. And, and Martha, one of the sisters, comes to him and said, Jesus, he's been in there for four days. I mean, he's already starting to decay. I mean, not only is it impossible because he's dead, it's impossible because he's not even going to really resemble a human being at, at this point. I mean, he stinks by now. He's decayed by now. So it's, it's, it's too late. And Jesus said, roll the stone from the door. And they did. And Jesus stood at the mouth of this cave and just yelled, Lazarus, come forth. And that dead body, that man that had been laying there for four days that was dead and already beginning to rot, you know what happens? You know what causes your, your, your skin and everything to rot after you die? Your blood stops flowing, right? And in a moment's time, at the word of Jesus, he goes beyond the natural, steps into the supernatural, and blood begins to flow again in the veins of this man who had been dead, which begins to restore all of the flesh and the muscles. And the guy stands up and he, he hobbles out. He's he got all of these grave looks like a mummy he's got grave hops out and jesus says take those grave clothes off of him and and let him go jesus worked this great miracle he 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 gave up on or refused to do one miracle because he had something bigger and greater in mind they didn't understand that then but they understood it now that's why god don't just jump to our rescue every time we need a miracle god it's about god's bigger plan do you understand that jesus raising lazarus from the dead it really wasn't for Lazarus. I mean, it really wasn't. I mean, Lazarus, he, I mean, let's face it, Lazarus was better off. Lazarus being raised from the, da- from the dead was kind of a downgrade for him. He was already in glory. He was already in heaven. And now he's got to come put on this, this body again. Not to mention, you might say this, that as, as great as that miracle was that Lazarus had been raised from the dead, that miracle would eventually expire. I mean, Lazarus had to die all over again, right? And for good. So Jesus raising him, it wasn't, he didn't raise Lazarus for Lazarus. And even though, even though Jesus was compassionate towards his sisters and even wept, he wept over the fact that they were so heartbroken and unbelieving, quite frankly, when his brother, so he, his heart broke for them. And, and no doubt when he raised, he wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead and he knew that would excite them and that was good. But he didn't raise Lazarus even just for Lazarus' sisters because they, I mean, let's face it, every time we lose a loved one, we, we all want him back. And so it wasn't just to give them the loved one back. Otherwise, Jesus would have to do that for everybody. He didn't, he didn't perform this miracle for them. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead to show the world that he has power even over death itself. It was about showing who Jesus is. He said, look, I can heal him while he's sick and he get better. And the people's already seen that. But they need to know that even when death and that which is final has taken place within the natural realm, I have the capacity, I have the ability to go past the natural into the supernatural and do things that you can't even in your mind imagine. Hallelujah. And that hasn't changed. He's still that miracle working God. 
say, well, I needed this, and, and it, God didn't do it for me. Why? I, and I won't ever know, know the answer to that question. You may never know the answer to that question. But when we put it all in perspective, what is ultimately God? Because, I mean, quite, quite frankly, none of us exist for us. I mean, God didn't create us for us. He created us for Him. Our entire life is about God looking forward to that moment that we go and spend it with Him. Amen? And in the midst, in the meantime, if we get to witness a great and mighty act of supernatural power from God, that's icing on the cake. Amen? Hallelujah. You know, Elijah would have not only missed out on you know, seeing greater things, but he'd have missed out on his destiny, really. Elijah's destiny, his purpose for living was for God to operate through him like that. And if he gave up short, he'd have missed out on all of that. I wonder what our destiny is. I wonder what each person, I believe God's got, you've heard me say this before, I believe that God's got a calling and a work, uh, for a purpose for every single person's life. It looks different for everybody. I don't know what your purpose and your work is. It's all, all of our purpose is to glorify Christ, obviously, but everybody's got their, their own work to do but that's all in god's hands if we're submitted to god oh yeah even the miracles that jesus performed had an expiration in the sense that i mean they, the miracles when jesus performed miracles they were never meant to be um an end in and of themselves the miracles that jesus performed were a means to an end what i mean by that is this jesus number one priority in ministry was not to work miracles okay Jesus didn't leave the realms of heaven and come to this earth to work miracles and show everybody what he could do. That, that wasn't the number one priority. The miracles that Jesus performed, they, they served as door openers, right? God worked, Jesus would work a miracle and it opened a door for people. It proved that Jesus was authentic, that he really was the son of God. And when he wor worked these miracles, read, the, read through the gospels. Every time Jesus performed a miracle, what did he do immediately after when everybody come around all amazed? He began to teach right? Jesus' number one priority in ministry was to teach us, to teach us the path to God, to teach us that we are sinners and that we need salvation and that he was coming to provide that for us. It was about who he was. That was his purpose, was to teach. The miracles were just a way of getting people's attention. It wasn't to make some sort of religion where we just have power in our finger and can do whatever we want. That's not, it wasn't his purpose in establishing the church. Um, in Acts, you don't have to turn here, but Acts 2.22 says, the men, this is Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. And he said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested, which means approved. He was approved by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. The miracles that Jesus performed disproved that, that God was with him. You remember Nicodemus was a, was a ruler of the... Uh, one of the Pharisees and ruler of Sanhedrin, Nicodemus came to Jesus. He was very, still skeptical, but he realized there was something about Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he says, look, master, rabbi, he said, I know that you've come from God. You're a teacher come from God because no man can what? No man can do these miracles that you do unless God is with him. That was the purpose of these miracles, to get people to realize, hey, no human being that's just out here to try to get a following can do that kind of stuff so there's got to be something real about this guy and then jesus comes along i mean jesus didn't say to nicodemus 
Oh, yeah, I do these miracles. You want to see another one? Look here, light his finger on fire. I mean, I, he, didn't, he wasn't there to impress. He, he used that opportunity. I've got Nicodemus' attention now. Now I can begin to sow. I begin to teach to him what I'm really all about. And he begins to say something like this. Maybe you've heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was the heart of the gospel, not the miracles he performed to get there. Amen. In fact, if you read through John's gospel, uh, John really doesn't record the details of Jesus' miracles near as much as Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Uh, You know, um, their their gospels focus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke focused a lot on, on, uh, you know, what Jesus did, what he taught, uh, whereas, you know, John focused more on who Jesus was. And so John would would allude to the fact that Jesus performed miracles. He didn't spend a lot of time in the details. He just showed and proved that Jesus did these miracles as a means of showing people that he really truly was authentic and he was the Son of God. Uh, John focused more on things like the I Ams, right? John said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the Messiah. I'm the eternal one. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the Son of God. I'm the resurrection and the life, the Master and the Lord. So he's focusing on what, who Jesus was which is ultimately should always be our forefront, right? If all we're focused on is what Jesus can do, then we lose sight of who he is at times, amen? We end up, kind of like I preached here a few weeks ago, we end, up, we end up chasing the blessing instead of the blesser. Yes, God is capable of unspeakable and amazing supernatural miracles that he might and can and does work in our lives on our behalf. But those miracles to better our lives is not the main purpose. Amen? Because as good as those, it's like Jesus told, talked about the bread and the manna. He was talking to them. He said, look, that was a great miracle, but those guys still died. Because that miracle only sustained their physical life for a little while. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Meaning, if you partake of me, I sustain you for all eternity. Hallelujah. In fact, there came a time, if you recall, there came a time when Jesus had to declare, at least to the unbelievers, that there should be no more sign given. Remember that? Everybody's always coming to Jesus. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. He'd already given them a ton of signs. He'd already done a lot of miracles, but they were always wanting a, another miracle. Give us a sign to prove that you are blah, blah, blah. And Jesus said, look, there'd be no more signs given. No more miracles except for one more sign, and that is the sign of the prophet Jonah, right? Which he's referring to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's one thing for a person to be able to raise somebody else from the dead. Hallelujah. But when you are, when he is dead and comes back from the grave, amen, greatest miracle ever, amen. Jesus said, look, I'm not playing tricks here just to try to get you, the, the, the signs are going to quit. He kept signs for different times and stuff. But for the most part, Jesus said, look, that's not what I come to do. Jesus knew that miracles would not cause people to believe. He did them and they still didn't believe. They watched with their own eyes the supernatural and they still did not believe. Whenever the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell, he cries out to God and he says, please send Lazarus back, different Lazarus, but this other Lazarus beggar who had died, send him back from the dead to warn my brothers. He's in hell now and he's, and he's saying, I just, I, this is awful. I don't want my brothers to come here. So raise Lazarus from the dead. Send him back to witness to my brothers so that they don't come here. Jesus said to him, or Abraham said to him, uh, that even though, first of all, he said this, they have Moses and they have the prophets. They have my word, they have the teaching, they have my preaching. 
uh, in order to believe, they will not believe even though somebody would come back from the dead and speak to them. Jesus knew that that sign, that miracle, would not be enough to cause them to believe. Jesus stood before Herod uh, when, after Jesus had already been uh, captured and he'd been to Pilate. Pilate sent him to Herod. Herod was all excited to see Jesus because he had heard about all these miracles that he'd been doing. And so he comes to Jesus and said, Hey, I've heard a lot about you. I've been wanting to see you. Do a miracle for me. Right? Do a miracle. Could Jesus have done it? Yeah, Jesus, Jesus could have. Here's what something I probably would have done. I'd have probably went like this and like made Herod's head shrink or something, you know. No, no, no more miracle, no more miracle. But Jesus did nothing. He just said Because Jesus said, I, that's not the purpose of me doing miracles just so I could show off to you or get you to believe because even if Jesus would have done a miracle, Herod would not have believed. Miracles come and miracles go. But miracle faith always requires another miracle to keep your faith going. That's not what Jesus had in mind. Amen? Miracles come and they go and they expire and they're quickly forgotten. You remember Israel, after coming across the Red Sea, which we said is a great miracle, it wasn't long after that that they come to another body of water. They were very thirsty and those waters were poisonous. Remember that? And they begin to curse God and they're upset with God. Oh, here you are, we're so thirsty. You brought us out in the wilderness to die. And now all the water we have is poison. They had just crossed the Red Sea. Do you see what I'm saying? You see how quickly we forget, even though God acts supernaturally on our behalf? It's quickly forgotten. That's why God says, look, it's, it's great. I'm going to take you through the Red Sea. I'm going to do these great things. But what was it Jesus, what was it God said to Moses to tell the people, tell my people they need to go forward. I'm working a miracle today, but there's going to be more miracles ahead. What God would have ultimately liked for them to do when they got to the waters of Merah, the poisonous waters, what God would have liked to hear from the nation of Israel was... Walk up there and say, oh, well, we can't drink this water. It's poison. Now, it's all we've got. There's no other water anywhere. So, well, you know, God just split the Red Sea for us. I mean, he just, he just manipulated the natural to provide for us, you know, just a few days ago. So he'll take care of this. And, and just stand there and wait for God to make the waters better. That's what God wanted from them. And ultimately, that's really not that much to ask. I mean, if he could do a miracle like the Red Sea, then what was this? But they forgot that miracle so quickly because chasing miracles always... When our faith in God is all set up in a miracle, it always requires us to have another miracle in order to keep on believing. I'm of the mind that when, when God does something great in our life, we see a miracle or an answer to prayer or whatever, that we should always be amazed by it, obviously, that we should uh, let it increase our faith, that we should receive the blessing that comes in it, we should learn whatever lesson was intended um, by it, and th- but then move on looking for the next great act of God in our life. I believe, he's, I believe he's at work every single day if we're just looking to see what he's doing. Amen? We need miracles. I encourage you, keep praying for them. Keep looking for them. Keep believing in them, but just don't worship them. Amen? Don't chase after them. You know, I've got, I've got to close. I'm not, not to open another... I'm not going to... I could preach a whole other sermon on this, but if you look forward... In Revelation especially, we find that in the last days, in the tribulation period and throughout the last days, however that unfolds and whatever that looks like, one thing we can determine uh, specifically from Scripture is that the Antichrist will deceive people with miracles. That the, Satan, that the power of Satan is still very real as well. 
and that the Antichrist, having the whole world's attention and everybody thinking him to be some great, thinking him to be God, with the ability to perform miracles and everybody will say, oh, he did this miracle, therefore he must be legit and he will win in multitudes of people through miracles. So our faith has got to go deeper than just what we see. We don't walk by sight, we walk by faith, despite what we see. Amen? All right, everybody stand with me this morning today. Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much for salvation. We praise you and thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us. Let us never take that lightly. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have washed our sins away. Though we deserved hell, though we deserved death, though we deserve punishment, Lord, you've given us life, you've given us love, you've given us forgiveness. God, you still continue to work miracles. You still continue to show yourself mighty in our lives day after day. Give us spiritual eyes to see. Help us to see the great things that you do on our behalf. Even the smaller things. God, just help us to be watching and looking for that that you're doing in our life. Let our faith be deep. Let it be rooted. Let it be grounded in the cross. Let it be rooted in you. Let us not be deceived. Let us not be detoured to the right or to the left. Help us to be a people strong, a church strong in faith. We thank you for all that you've done in the past. For the faith building miracles and answered prayers in the past. But God, we believe that going forward, you have great and mighty works laid out. That you have a purpose and you have a plan that even though the world itself looks dark, we want to be able to be a part of that plan. We want to trust you more. Help us all to trust you more. God, as you search hearts here today, only you know, only you have the ability to know how every heart stands. That if there's 